HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a butter egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st hrn. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com hrn. This week on Meet and 3, we're talking about the United States' biggest crop. It's corn. They will always tell you that corn is like their family. Corn is their family. You treat corn like you would treat your family. These subsidy programs are supposed to be for really dealing with unexpected things that happen to farmers. Although in practice, a lot of times farmers are actually paid farm subsidies for things that we can control and do expect. There's this constant warfare going on between the oil industry and the grain industry. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, uh, to another episode of Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. I'm your host, Aaron Sanchez, alongside my beautiful mother, Sarela Martinez. And we have the outstanding pleasure of inviting to our unbelievable podcast somebody that we both admire immensely, who, uh, other than my mother and some, a select few, have done uh, so much as far as Mexican food and culture. And, of course, we're talking about uh, Chef Rick Bayless. Um, where do you start uh, with his unbelievable accomplishments? Uh, he's an American chef. Uh, he's specialized in traditional Mexican cuisine throughout his career. Uh, you know, he opened his restaurant uh, for Terra Grill in 1987, which has a little bit of um, a coincidental uh, timing with you, Mom. You opened your restaurant in 87 as well. It was an auspicious year. It was, a, it was a very important year, right. And I will just say that today is our 34th anniversary for Frontera Grill. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, not at all. I think that's that's exactly what our, our listeners want to hear, Chef. We want to talk about all the, the tremendous uh, legacy that you've that you put forward with Frontera Grill. And, of course, let's not forget about Tompolo Bompo, which you opened in 89. And, uh, you know, it's actually a restaurant that received a Michelin star in, in 2019, which is such a huge accomplishment. And, again, I mean, kudos and, and, and so much love y amor por todo lo que has hecho. Um, and then you continue to do all of your wonderful things. You've uh, multiple James Beard Award winner. Um, you've made so many beautiful appearances, whether it's on Top Chef Masters in 2019. You're the author of eight unbelievable cookbooks. Uh, from Mexican Everyday, Mexican Slow Cookery Cookbook. We can go on and on and on. But today's uh, topic and subject matter is going to be about rice, which is a large topic. So I don't want to um, I don't want to waste any time. It's, let's let's tackle rice, how it's made its uh, introduction into Mexican cooking, and and let's go there, shall we? Why not? I I it's a kind of an interesting thing. So. Which school of thought do you ascribe to? Is it the one that it came from the Philippines or the one that came through the Mediterranean? I mean, it, obviously, it came after the Spaniards arrived in Mexico. There, there wasn't any rice in pre-Columbian times. But I guess it could have come, um, a lot of people say, 
right away, like in the early 1500s after the conquest um, in 1521, in that um, the, the right away rice came to, to Mexico through the port of Veracruz. Um, but then other people say most of the rice came from to Mexico from the other side, but that would have been quite a bit later when the Manila galleons started. So which do you believe is the truth? I think that it came uh, both times. You know, because it probably did. You know, because the the thing is that one one side is so far Mm. away from the other. You know, as far as uh, as far as getting from one side to the other. You know, so the thing is that I do I do think it came from there, and then the uh, the people just really took to it immediately. Yeah, so we, we talked about, Chef, the idea of the Puerto Veracruz, not just rice, but so many ingredients from Europe came and found its way into Mexico through the Puerto Veracruz. People talk about 1519 when Cortes came. Uh, I think it took a little bit longer to, to have those ingredients have a foot a footprint in Mexican cooking, but you're right, uh, from olive oil, et cetera, et cetera, we can go down the list. But rice, in, 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 as an interesting note, it started to be cultivated in, in uh, started to be really cultivated in Veracruz and Campeche, which shares a border, uh, as you know. Uh, what was your first introduction to rice dishes, uh, Chef Rick, uh, as far as when you started to really delve deep uh, into the cuisine? Can you recall? Certainly I do. Um, I will tell you that uh, the the... I grew up eating Tex-Mex food, okay, because I grew up in Oklahoma City, which is just north of Texas, and I grew up um, cheese enchiladas, beans, really soupy, pinto beans, and uh, rice on every plate, and um, so I had kind of a taste for all of that, and um, I have always been a carbohydrates person my whole life. I love carbohydrates. So the idea of beans and rice together is just like heaven for me. Um, So I grew up with all of that. Um, But then when I first went to Mexico, I was 14 years old and I expected to get the same sort of soupy beans on the plate with a spoonful of rice on everything. And I was in Mexico City and they just almost never do that. I mean, it's a, a dish will either get beans or it will get rice. And I was so used to that sort of pink tomato colored rice that I had grown up on. And here in Mexico City, I I went to the Café de Tacuba in downtown Mexico City, and they served me this fluffy white rice with lots of onion cooked in it and all this delicious stuff. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? I had only eaten white rice like in Chinese restaurants before. (laughs) I mean, we had a few Chinese restaurants in in Oklahoma City. Um, Not that we had a lot of them, but part of my family really loved eating Chinese food, so mostly sweet and sour pork, but they would, uh, we would go there and we would eat that kind of rice. But when I got to Mexico City and I tasted that first sort of pilaf style white rice um, in at the Café de Tacuba, I was just blown away. I'd never had anything quite so delicious in my life, and I just wanted to go live in that for a while. So it opened my my mind that all not all Mexican rice is... Um, um, that tomato flavored or colored rice. Well, at the ranch, you know, we used to have uh, rice with bananas, Dear, not with yes. yeah, yeah. You know, the 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 red rice with bananas. I uh, see. I like. I I. I've eaten so much of it in in Veracruz on the Gulf side of Mexico. I've eaten so much white rice with plantains in it there. Now, you when you say bananas, do you mean plantains or do you mean no? I mean bananas. Regular bananas, bananas. Yeah, because at the ranch we were at seven thousand feet, oh, so you know yeah, they yeah. would bring, they would bring the bananas. You know, sometimes those little ones from the Mercado yeah. de Juarez, and yeah, that's yeah, and yeah. it was it was delicious. It was a delicious flavor. Wow, that's very cool. I've never had that, the red rice with regular bananas. I've mostly just had that white rice with uh, with the fried plantains, which is like one of my best dishes in the whole wide world. I could eat that morning, noon, and night. And how do you cook your white rice? You know, one of the, uh, your rice, one of the things that I found fascinating when I was doing research for this piece is that I took out seven cookbooks from well-known Mexican chefs in the United States uh, and in Mexico. Everyone cooks rice in a completely different way. 
But don't most of them start by sautéing the raw rice in some oil or some kind of fat? Don't most of them do do it that no, way? No, no, no. They start with soaking. Well, soaking. I mean, after the soaking part of it, yeah. But then the next step after that is the is the frying the raw rice in in some kind of oil. Until it sounds like sand. Until yeah, until it, it sounds, sounds like, like sand. And it yeah. really does sound like sand when you when you get it to the right place and it starts making that sound when you put it, especially if you put like a, a wooden spoon or something through it, it yeah. starts having that sound like you're stirring rice. It's super cool. Um, but yeah. I will say that, that one of the reasons that I think that the rice really took root from the bringing it over to Veracruz is because that method of cooking rice um, really is something that came all the way across North Africa with the Arabs and then into Spain. And then the Spaniards learned to cook rice that way for several reasons, but they learned to cook it that way. And then they brought that, I think, over to Mexico. And for me, I think it's that sort of, because that's the standard way, They most people call it a pilaf style, where you saute mm. the raw rice first in, the, in oil. Um, but it's, if you think about it, in that Arab world, they love lots of little tiny pieces of stuff. I mean, if you just think about couscous and stuff, and most of the... Most of the rice that was grown around there was a shorter grain rice, which just cooks up really sticky. Mm -hmm. And if you saute it in oil first, then it separates into those beautiful things. I mean, most paella recipes will tell you to start off with that, that shorter grain arboreal rice and cook it in some fat first and yeah. then make your paella with it. Yeah, and I, and I think the most traditional rice that people are accustomed to in Mexico is the long grain rice. You know, it's, uh -huh. uh, it's, or no, or you guys want to debate that. I disagree. I <laughs> disagree. I'm, I'm with Zarello on this one. I know people eat the, the long grain rice, but that, that really famous, the one, uh, the one rice from Morelos that is so famous in Mexico yeah. that has its own denomination of origin. Um, that is the only rice in Mexico that has a denomination of origin. It's more like a medium grain rice. It's not like a long rice. I know a lot of people eat their long grain rice, but it's not, it's not my favorite. I agree with Zarela. It's but like it, but it, 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 it does take more liquid though, right? It's it not the traditional two to one as you would right. imagine. So I yeah. think for people that are listening, just to get the distinct of the long grain versus the short grain. I think it's important to mention. Yep, I, I agree. Something that, that I found fascinating is that I was talking to some chefs and they're using basmati or texmati rice in mm -hmm. their restaurants. Mm. Not my okay. favorite. Not my favorite, I'll tell you. Like Not Roberto Santibanez does in his cookbook. Mm. Uh, but you know what, though? It, it does cook up really fluffy. There's no doubt about it. You can't make this stuff stick together. Um, but I just, I like the, I like the mouthfeel of a shorter grain. I, it's more meaty. And also, and also to your point, Chef Rick, the basmati does not absorb the flavoring as well as the long grain or a short grain. It almost You're has exactly. like a little shield. It has like a little shield to it <laughs> that doesn't almost let that, that, uh, the brand, if you will, to get that flavoring in there. Well, so. and you know, it's like the, the difference between those two kinds of rice, the, like the, what we would call medium grain rice and short grain rice versus the long grain and the basmati is the, the type of starch that they have on the outside of them. And that long grain rice and the basmati rice has this really hard starch. So it doesn't allow it to really absorb all of the, the liquid. I mean, it absorbs liquid, but it doesn't absorb the flavoring in the same way. Whereas mm. the shorter grain rices, they have that stuff that just almost melts off the outside and then it just really absorbs. I mean, just like you think about risotto, you make it with a shorter grain rice because you want to dissolve all that starch off the outside. If you tried to make risotto with basmati rice, it would be a mess. Absolutely. But that's that's a very good prelude into what I want to talk about a little bit about the the you know they call it in Latin America and the Caribbean arroz asupado you know or soupy rice dish. So maybe mm -hmm. let's talk about some of those traditional stuff like arroz a la tumbada, right. some of those little soupy rice dishes because that might be seen foreign to some people. The best arroz a la tumbada I've had is was at your restaurant, Rick. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was fantastic. Tell us about it. Thank you. It's like one of my 
one of my favorite dishes in the world, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, um, it, and typically, um, every time that I've had it in Veracruz and around in that part, they start with already cooked rice that they add to the dish toward the end, just the same way if you were making a, you know, a caldo de pollo and you put a big spoonful of rice in there. Um, it's, but it's obviously all seafood that's in there. And oh my God, I love that stuff so much. I even like cheap stuff. I did a, I, I did a crazy fast version of it with um, half a jar of salsa and a bunch of chicken stock and then threw a whole bunch of mussels and shrimp in there and then a big spoonful of rice at the end. And even that, which I could make in about 10 minutes, even that was good. Oh, I love it. But if you were starting from scratch, how would you do it? Well, I'm a, a tomato roaster. Not everybody in Veracruz is, but I would roast tomatoes and yeah. green chilies like um, serranos or jalapenos and then um, um, and some garlic. And I'd make a puree of that and cook that down first. And then I, I preferably add some, some fish stock to it, which is really easy to get there in Veracruz where they're making this all the time. But I think um, it's, you know, it can have any kind of seafood in it. But if you're thinking about being in Veracruz, it's probably going to have those little clams in it and it, which I think it has to have some kind of a bivalve in there because when they open up they leave so much of their their flavor behind in the in the broth and then um, those little crabs that they have there mm. the like little blue crabs oh my god and if that was, if you use those to make your stock with then it's amazing that is like yeah. that's my very favorite version of it and it can have fish or not fish but to me it's all about crab and shrimp and and mussels or clams but chef you brought up an interesting point so in essence your your roasted tomato base of the onion the uh, the jalapenos or serranos and tomatoes is your sofrito yes exactly what you would traditionally start a paella with and then exactly. the, the the other most important crucial part is that stock to cook yes. your rice in so i think we're in, yeah. in in agreement that those two elements are essential of course from great yeah. seafood to make a beautiful rice a la tumbada Oh, and I did. I forget the herb. I forgot saying the herb because in, in Veracruz it's epazote, and I just love mm. epazote and arroz a la tumbada. I think it just adds this sort of slightly bitter element against the sweetness of everything else, and it just makes it so good. Oh, I love that. So, mom, let's talk a little bit about your iconic uh, creamy rice. Oh, I know, because people come to your restaurant, Chef Rick, for many different dishes. And one of the things that people stop me constantly is they say, your mom's creamy rice. Talk to us a little bit about the origin of that dish. I want to hear about it, too, because I've been thinking about this <laughs> since we, we since we made this date to have this conversation. So yeah, please talk about your creamy rice dish. Well, what, what it is is that it, it's I copied it from this um, Juarez caterer, Don, mm. Don Chonito. Mm. And he and he made and it's a layered dish which is very much like like my food is. My food is known for its layers of flavor. So what I do is that I, I mix it with sour cream, but the sour cream isn't plain. It has chopped onion in it and, and cilantro. So then you mm -hmm. get that little raw onion and, and fresh cilantro flavor. And then it has the the cheese, the poblanos, and the corn. And and mm. and, and you just bake it. And it's but you have to use Uncle Ben's rice because if you because if you use or, or another converted rice, if you use plain rice, it becomes like a mush. Yeah. Mush. But 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 you ba you you bake it though, Mom, which I think yeah, is important. Course. So it's not necessarily something that's folded in. It's something that uh -huh. the cheese has a chance to do its its, its job and kind of make this gooey almost a, rice, rice casserole, casserole, right, Mom? Yeah. The recipes on our website. Sarela.com, which is in the process of being totally redone and brought up to date <laughs> <laughs> very shortly. Okay. Well, so you know what? So well, we're on the topic of rice, and then I want to talk a little bit about the cooking of rice. And I'm just going to say the way that I learned. I had the pr privilege of working with Chef Doga Rodriguez, and I learned sort of more of the Caribbean uh, style of cooking rice. And, and a couple cool things that I learned through this process that hasn't failed me. I've worked with some Cuban ladies and women from Puerto Rico and all these little Caribbean countries. And you always boil your water or your stock prior to. 
Yeah. Okay, so when that comes to a boil, you season it, and then you can put a little bit of fat in there, butter, oil, whatever you like, and then you add your rice. You can do a two-to-one, stir it, but if you didn't have that opportunity to measure it, the, the, the señoras will tell me just to stir it till the spoon stands still in the middle. So when the, oh, really? the spoon stands straight up in the oh. middle, that's when you know you have the proper ratio of water to rice. So I thought that was really neat. And the other part of it is also baking the rice. So in the idea of putting some banana leaves on top of your rice, maybe some parchment paper, covering with the lid, and in the oven will allow the rice to cook more evenly. Because I think sometimes when people cook rice on the stovetop, what's going to happen? The bottom portion of the rice is going to cook faster than the top portion. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. We bake all of our rice in in at Frontera, and um, we do almost exactly what you said, except that we do all of the frying of our rice not in the pan we're going to bake it in, but we actually utilize our deep fryer. So we put the rice into the deep fryer and we stir it in in a big china cap strainer. Um, stir it until. It depends on what kind of rice we're making. If we're making white, we don't want any color on it. But if we're making one of the other kinds of rice, we get a little color on it. Then we drain it really well. And we saute onions in the this big brazier that we're going to put in the oven. And so we saute the onions. We add some garlic to it. Um, other seasonings, depending on what kind of rice we're making. We put the drained rice that's already been fried in there. And then we do exactly what you said, where we bring all of the broth to a boil. And then uh, we put the uh, salt it. We salt the the water so there were the broth so that we make sure that the the we got the right amount of salt in there. And then we pour that over the mixture of the rice and the garlic and onions. And then we put the top on it and we put it into the oven. Though I've never thought of laying a piece of banana leaf on top of it, but I think that sounds just amazing. And I'm going to do that. I think it that does. sounds just great. Yeah, when you make the when you make the traditional moros and cristianos, which is that that great uh, rice dish from Cuba, and the moros right. were the black beans, and the cristianos were the white rice. Yeah, it it's not politically correct anymore. <laughs> exactly, you can't say that. But what was interesting is that Chef Douglas taught me that you use the bean liquid as your as your cooking liquid. Ah. So you would you would boil this big pot right, of right. beans and all that flavor of the the boiling liquid would be the liquid right. you would cook your rice in. So it would have this really beautiful backdrop of flavor. Yeah. Well we do your recipe's the best. <laughs> Well, I, I was just going to say that we do a black bean rice um, at Frontera, and we do it almost exactly the same way that you were describing that. We just don't put the whole black beans back in it. So, but it really is amazing oh. how that the flavor of the beans gets just impregnated into the rice when it's cooking that way. It's super good. That's mm. one of my favorite rices that we do. Oh, wonderful. You know that I was looking at... Uh Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz's um, book, you know, cookbook that she wrote in the 17th century. And right. it was like, uh, she has this really interesting dish. First of all, she cooks her rice inside of a napkin. Because oh. I know that some Thai people do that, don't they? Uh, steaming it, I think. It's like tying it up in a napkin and steaming it for a long time, yeah. Yeah, and she, and she puts it in a cazuela with the most mm. extraordinary picadillo. In the, oh, really? in, and then she tops it, tops it with another one. And I mean, it's amazing that this was in the 17th century right. and that the food was so sophisticated. Mm. Yeah, that book's got a lot of very interesting dishes in it. And um, you can't imagine how complicated the, the food was um, that she's writing about all those years ago. And you think about the introduction of rice. It must have seemed something very luxurious at the time. Right, because it's a corn-based, Mesoamerican-based diet: chili, squash, corn, tomatoes, all that. And then rice must have, must have seemed so foreign to the indigenous culture and people that were living in Mexico at that time. And I just I find it very interesting how different pockets of Mexico have started to adopt different rice dishes. Right? Uh, right. In your travels, Rick, Mom. Have you seen some other rice dishes from different areas in Mexico that really uh, stuck with you that that were 
eye raising. <laughs> I, I like this uh, the arroz the arroz verde that they they make over in Veracruz mm. area too. It seems like we're spending a lot of time in Veracruz on this chat here, but um, <laughs> it. I like that arroz verde. I've actually had it in other places as well, but the one that comes to my mind the most is one that has a whole lot of herb, like an herb puree that's added to the rice. And so it just like jumps up and it's super good if you have like something like arroz verde with a green mole. Um, the flavors, it just, mm. they go so well together and are so complementary. So I, I like that kind of things. Um, once down in Guerrero, somebody made for me a, um, an arroz um, rojo, but it wasn't tomato. It was red chili. And um, I think oh, it wow. was Ugh. all, it was guajillo, guajillo. And so you made just like a puree of guajillos and then put that into the liquid that you were cooking the rice with. And I found that one to be just absolutely delicious. So the nice thing about rice is that it will take pretty much anything that you want to put in it. And I, so I, I, I like all those kinds of rice dishes, the ones where, you know, they take some, say, boil some pork up and you got little pieces of boiled pork shoulder or something, and then you add the rice to it and then you cook that. And so you've got this dish that's sort of like a rice casserole, but not creamy, you know? And there's just so many different things that you can do. That dried shrimp one. Oh, that dried shrimp yes, one. Yes, I, I had forgotten. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, where, where did you have that? I had that down in the Isthmus in of Oaxaca, Tawantica. In Oaxaca. In Oaxaca, yes. That's where I had it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they had that amazing tradition that they make uh, San Mateo del Mar, and they bring a big fish to the table first. If, uh -huh. if that finishes, they bring a, a, a smaller fish next. And if that finishes, they bring a smaller fish next until everybody's satisfied. <laughs> it was such a... I love that. It's an it's a interesting culture there. You know, my mom yeah. used to make one that was very interesting. She used to make a rice casserole, but she beat egg whites. Oh, really? And folded mm. it into the rice. Wow. And baked Why, it. Why, mom? Why? Because it made it light and... And really interesting. She would just put uh, spices on it. It was it was a savory dish. It wasn't a, a sweet dish. And did it have meat in it, Zarella, or did it was it just a rice like in a cup? No, no, it was just plain. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and something interesting to mention is like the idea of rice being served next to mole because you brought it up, Chef. <laughs> is that traditionally yeah. mole was served with some sort of uh, corn-based tortilla? Or tamal, mm -hmm. and the idea of it to start seeing the progression of mole being served alongside rice, right. I think is significant, you know, and it's something that I think people are accustomed to now, but it's a recent, recent uh, occurrence, you know what I mean? Where mole has been made in Mexico for thousands of years. So. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing because if you think about that, the most the most famous mole, if you think of a mole poblano or whatever, um, and you look at that culture in Puebla, it's it's very um, clearly what you could call mestizo in the sense that it has very staunch European roots and very staunch indigenous roots. And it's like that is a place where everything just comes together so so beautifully because a lot of those ingredients in the mole poblano are not native to Mexico. They were brought either, on, well, lots of them on those Manila galleons. And then you think mm -hmm. about the rice as the accompaniment. Yeah, that came from far away as well. So you end up with these th this dish that is perfectly Mexican, but it's a blend of several cultures. Well, they say that it's a first fusion cuisine. Indeed. It is the first fusion cuisine. I, I don't know if, if it's really the first, but it's certainly one of the most notable. And when you think about how beautiful and perfect that fusion is, it's not like one person making something up. It was like a whole culture conspiring to bring these elements together in perfect <laughs> union. But when they all came together, they created a new culture. <laughs> that was the whole thing. And so that Mexican culture is not just indigenous. 
indigenous and it's not just European. It's like the perfect blend of all of those things. And when you travel through Mexico, as you guys know really well, you find mm. different pockets like in Oaxaca where the indigenous part comes up uh, better. Or you go to Puebla and it's more of the European side comes to the top. And you find exactly. that just happening all over Mexico. I love and, that. And in Veracruz, you have all the Afro-Mexican. Yeah, those really delicious flavors that come from the Caribbean and settle there in in yeah. Veracruz. Lots of people don't know that that exists. Exactly, we're talking about yuca, we're talking about plantains, all that got introduced via mm -hmm. Veracruz and that beautiful exchange through the Caribbean on on, on way to El Querido Mexico. Um, let's talk a little bit about a rice and desserts, shall we? So I want to ask one. I just want to. I think that's a great idea, but I just want to ask. One last question of this. Do you know any dish where they, they're looking for the socorrat in Mexico? No, I don't. And, and I, I love that crunchy base to the rice cooking, but I don't know of anybody that does that in Mexico that's not like steeped in paella making Spanish. or something like that. Yeah. Well, in Puerto Rico, they call it pegao, right? It, it, uh -huh. it pegao. It, it, you know, it's, it's bad Spanish. But it's it pegado, <laughs> what, what sticks to the bottom of the of the the, the pot of, of the pot of rice that you're making. Uh, so yeah, that little crispy bits, mom, or something that that really is a treat if people are, are open minded. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so desserts. Yeah. Anyone? Well, well, let, let's breach the subject about horchata. Okay. I mean, and then we can talk a little bit about arroz, arroz con leche, and all that. But let's talk about the fascination with the rice-based beverage that is so popular and, and so iconic, uh, shall we? Let's break yeah. down horchata uh, a little bit. <laughs> I would say it's very, very base. You soak rice with some cinnamon sticks. A lot of people say do it overnight. Then you put that in the blender and you blend that, and then you strain that, which is a pain because it's a hard to strain out all those little bits. And then you have you sweeten it, and then you've got orchata. But it's a kind of weirdly thin orchata, it seems to me. And so a lot of people will put a little bit of canned milk in it or something like that to give yeah. it a little bit more body. Yeah. I like what they do in Oaxaca where they soak with the rice, they soak a whole handful of almonds and then you blend all that and that gives yep. it a lot more body and you don't have to put the dairy in it to get that. Or like out in, the, in, in um, Yucatan, a lot of people will put coconut milk in it um, and call it horchata de coco. Yeah. Um, but it's, and I like that yeah, one a exactly. lot too. That's a, one of my favorites. Yeah. In Oaxaca, they also sell it with some berries or something. What is it? Uh, what is it that we, uh, that we saw that we were talking about it's the other day? Yotilla. It's called yotilla. It's a little, a little tiny cactus fruit that is the darkest, most gorgeous red in the entire world. If you know that red of prickly pears, this is even more intense than that. Mm. But it looks like a little tiny pine mm. cone. And then you just open it up and scrape yeah. out the cinder of it. And that's what they put in the horchata in, in the market there in, in Oaxaca City. And it's so gorgeous because they put a little drop of it on the top and it swirls down through the glass and turns the whole thing pink. It's so cool. And then they pile on cubes of cantaloupe and some pecans. And all of a sudden, it looks like one of those Vietnamese drinks that has all the stuff in it, you know? It's just like, I, that is like <laughs> one of, you can tell this is one of my very favorite things in the whole wide world. In fact, I am looking I right see. now at a picture of Casilda's stall, the one that's been there for 120 years in the, in the market yeah. in Oaxaca. And I have it hang this picture hanging on my office wall so that it, I can think about <laughs> drinking horchata con jotilla there. It's just so fabulous. Well, you know, a, a holiday is coming up that's beautiful in Oaxaca. It's a day of the Samaritana. You know, when, mm. when Jesus was uh, dying of thirst and somebody, somebody gave him water at the well. well what they right. do in Oaxaca is that they set up tables and they give out agua fresca on mm. that day right before wow. Easter. Mm -hmm. Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. I've never been there for Semana. Is it during Semana Santa or when is it? 
Yeah, yeah, it's like the last Thursday or the second to the last Thursday of right before Lent, right before the end of uh, uh, right Lent. before Easter. Okay. Wow. Man, I've got to I got to go for that. And it's also, I mean, you think about just some of the 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 mouthfeel and some of the uh the flavor profiles of horchata, it's a great uh, way to, if you've had a spicy taco or have had some salsa yeah. that might have kicked your butt a little bit, the horchata is a nice neutralizer of the heat, but it also has that beautiful sort of almost fermented flavor of the rice. And I think that's, it's refreshing. I think it's unusual. I think it's particular to Mexico, which is something really neat. Um, shall we talk a little bit about rice in desserts? Okay. The arroz mm-hmm. con leche. And I know it's, and no, I know it's not a big a favorite of a lot of people. You know, Mexico is not, not necessarily toast, uh, touted for their dessert making, which a lot of people will differ. But I think arroz con leche is something that should be, I don't know, brought back to the fore, to, to the surface a little bit. Chef Rick, what are some of your... Uh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love arroz con leche. I love that. And I like... The the Mexican version of it, not the American baked version of it. The baked version of it for me um, doesn't have doesn't capture the creaminess. And so my my go to version of it is to cook rice in water till it's done, then to add to that the milk and sugar and simmer that till it starts to thicken. But remember, the rice is already cooked, so the grains are going to stay intact pretty much. If you have used like medium grain rice, not, you couldn't do it with basmati. It'd start going, it'd get weird. Anyway, so I like medium grain rice for that. So then I add the sugar to it. And then uh, when it just starts to thicken again, I like to add egg yolks to it and turn the fire oh. off and just let the heat of the because it's 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 hot enough to generally cook those egg yolks but it makes it super creamy add a little bit of vanilla to it i like all kinds of dried fruit so i could put any kind of dried fruit i know everybody thinks raisins with it but there's a lot of uh, fruit out there dried figs cut up is like super delicious in that and then add a, a, a good dash of like añejo tequila. Oh my God, it is a great oh, yeah. dessert. Serve it warm. Or also plump up your dry fruit in a little bit yes. of tequila or a little yes, bit of a brandy or something. And then and let those dry fruit come back to life. Yeah, rum. Yeah. Well, you know what, I kinda, what kind of rice desserts I like? I like stuff made with rice flour. You know, oh, yeah. uh, first of all, I make this delicious bread with rice flour. It's a corn, a zucchini bread that I learned how to make in finishing school. You know, one of those <laughs> things that they taught you in Guadalajara, you know, to be a good wife. And in any case, <laughs> no, really, I, went, I learned how to shadow, and, I learned how to shadow embroider, make bread crumb flowers, you know, for, for a little, I mean, believe me, I learned a lot of stuff. In any case, in any case, it's a day. Victorian Victorian etiquette, mom. Well, yeah, but I learned how to cook the food of the fancy people of Guadalajara, mm-hmm. and you know right, there right. was stuff like cannelloni. There was like amazing, amazing. Dish. I still have the. Well, I had the book. I, I sent it off to, to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, mom. <laughs> and anyway, so you make it. I at the restaurant we used to make it with corn, and poblano. But mm. originally, I had it with zucchini, and then and carrot, and I have the, the recipe in one of my books or on the on the website. In any case, and that's really good. And then in Oaxaca, they have this cake that's called quesadilla de arroz, and it's made mm. with with corn flour. I mean, with rice flour, but it can't be wow. the Chinese one. It has to be the Latin brand. Mm, interesting. Gotcha. You know, there a lot of people don't even know that there are all these different kinds of flowers in Mexico because you can buy the garbanzo flower, you can buy black bean flower, you can buy fava bean flower, you can find rice flour. And they, you might think that you would have to go to a specialty kind of grocery to get it, but no, you can find them anywhere, which means that people are really using them. So yes, making those breads with uh, rice flour especially especially is, is quite common in Mexico. And it does give a really beautiful texture to it. It doesn't have any gluten, so you have to make a certain yeah. kind of a cake or, uh, or something yeah. out of it. But 
It's got to be just right. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based customers into your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol, and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked, folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres called Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, So good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com HRN. We all know that food businesses like yours are the backbone of your community. You make your neighborhood a more delicious place to be, and your customers are hungry for more. Food businesses across the country are working with Honeycomb to open new locations, buy equipment, and grow. You too can unlock fair growth capital by allowing your community to invest directly into your business. A crowdfunded loan from Honeycomb deepens your customer relationships and gives them a whole new way to engage with your business. You'll also get access to thousands of local investors in the Honeycomb network who are passionate about seeing food businesses succeed. Honeycomb is the community bank of the 21st century. Fair rates, flexible terms, and no prepayment penalties. Honeycomb has proven to be an invaluable growth tool for all kinds of businesses, from James Beard-nominated restaurants and upstart food trucks to organic farms and award-winning breweries. Best of all, with Honeycomb, you're paying back your neighbors, not big banks. To learn more about how Honeycomb Credit can help grow your business while building vibrant, financially empowered neighborhoods, visit honeycombcredit.com HRN. I would be remiss really quickly because I just I'm going to go back a little bit in time. But the idea of we were talking when you were talking about frying the rice, Chef Rick, and getting that sort of texture, you know, at our restaurant, Johnny Sanchez in New Orleans, we do an arroz con pollo, but what we do is we actually cook the rice, we let it cool down, very flavorful, broth, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Then we cool it down and we toss it in rice flour after it's set overnight, and then we fry it and it puffs up. Oh, it's wonderful. And it puffs up like Rice Krispies. And then we cook that into arroz con pollo with a very flavorful broth and roasted tomatoes and onions and, and all the good stuff that you talked about. So uh, I think that's really neat, just because I wanted to mention that because you talked about it earlier. I have to interrupt, though, because you went way too fast through that. So, uh, OK, you've got this chicken. It's raw chicken, right? Uh, no, no, no. So here's the deal. So we make a very flavorful chicken broth. We cook everything mm-hmm. traditional. You know how it is. Whole carcasses, tomato, yeah, uh, yeah, onion okay. studded with clove, bay leaf, everything. That cooks down. Then we reserve that broth, and then we cook our, our, uh, our rice in that very flavorful broth. And once mm-hmm. it's cooled, we put it on sheet trays, and we almost put fans on it in the walk-in. Yeah, okay. And that will aerate, that will aerate overnight. And then the next day, we dust it in rice flour. And then we fry it. You dust the so rice with that. Oh. Rice flour. It's so, fantastic. Okay. And then we and then and then we fry it so they become like little rice krispies. Yeah. So then we take that 
then, then we take the, 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 that reserved broth and then add it to a mixture of roasted veg and then our, our, our freshly grilled chicken or whatever we're doing with it. Uh-huh, but it uh, okay, pops okay. up. It puffs up. It's like puff rice. Right, right, right. And it's really That's super cool. It's really neat, and it it gives a beautiful texture, and it allows that broth to really soak into the rice, but also have texture to it. So it's neat. Cool. So, oh, that's really wonderful. So, uh, Rick, while we're here, that you know, what we love to do on cooking in Mexico from A to Z is shamelessly plug. So, can you please tell everybody <laughs> about what you're doing right now and any cool things and projects you have going on, please, and where people can and reach out to you and engage? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Aaron. Um, yeah, well, we're, we're trying to survive. That's number one. We are just trying to survive like everybody else in the restaurant business right now. And we are seeing that um, there may be a light at the end of this very, very long and dark tunnel. Um, but we don't quite know how things are going to pan out. So we have, like everybody else, had to just pivot and do all kinds of different things. And one of the things that we've started is um, a YouTube channel uh, that people can uh, become members of. And that helps to support our restaurant. And what we are doing is uh, you receive two videos from me every week, but they're all new. I mean, we're, we're creating all new content. We call it the Complete Mexican Kitchen Sessions. And I am covering the cuisine from top to bottom, everything that I can do to try to put down in video, you know, what are the foundations of the Mexican kitchen? So I'm not really doing contemporary Mexican food in this particular session because I want everybody to know what the foundation stuff is so that then they can build on that if they want to. And um, so you receive two videos a week from me, um, one short and one longer. And then uh, once a month we cook live. We're going to do our live cooking tomorrow night. I know two two nights from now on, uh, and uh, we usually do it on a Friday night. And so um, we are we, we cook along with everybody, and it's really fun thing. And once a month, I do a live question and answer so people can ask me questions, and those are really fun. We have a great time in all of that. So that's my big push right now um, that we're doing that. And um, you know, if people have wanted to to find out what our flavors are like, but if not, that don't come to Chicago. Um, I can say that uh, we're getting ready to go on Gold Belly. If everybody knows what Gold Belly is, it's the yeah, sort of I'm international. Doing it. I'm, I'm doing it as well. I thought you were doing it. And so we're starting that next week as well. Um, we've been doing a lot of different things here um, where we make food and um, take it out to the suburbs. I mean, we've just been doing anything just to stay alive and to keep our staff employed, which is the most important thing. I said from the very beginning, if we don't take care of our staff, we have nothing at all. And I will say that there has been such a major exodus from the restaurant industry that um, every every restaurant is in sort of dire straits because we have we have been able to hire back about sixty percent of our staff, but I will tell you that 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 other forty percent, almost all of them have less left the restaurant industry, which is going to make yeah. it hard for us to grow back to where we used to be. And so um, we're just doing our best to survive, as I said. And um, I encourage people if you're interested in Mexican food, which you probably are if you're listening to this, um, to check out my. <laughs> In my YouTube channel, um, and there you will find out how you can become a member. It's not expensive, but the more people that we can get to help us out, the better it is for our staff. So that's one of the ways that we're making money for our restaurant right now. So Brilliant. that's kind of what we're what we're doing. And how are your products doing? Products, oh, they do really well. Actually, do the products during the the um, this horrible pandemic um, have done very well because people have been cooking at home a lot more. So we're very pleased about that. Yeah, that's, uh, well, that's that that does well. Well, I've, I'm happily retired. So I don't have to worry about I'm not really retired, but I mean, I'm, I'm pushing right now everything to try to show people that you can live well with Parkinson's. And so I have a new project coming out. I mean, I've had it for 35 years, so... Yeah, I, I, I really respect your continued courage to constantly be doing stuff because you're an inspiration to so many people. So keep it up, Zarella. We're counting on you. Well, thank you very much. 
And, and Rick, and I also have to, on a side note, I uh, did a panel yesterday uh, with Emerald in in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, at Johnson and Wales, and he and Paul Kahn cannot stop talking about your unbelievable mentorship to him. He was oh. so, um, and he tells me time and time again, his time with you was so invaluable, and it was just something that really uh, stuck with him. So. I share the same sentiment as he does, as you were somebody so special oh, thank you. and somebody so important to our culture and the way that you've approached it as a purist and, uh, and just embraced our culture is something that can't be uh, understated. So I'm, I'm just so grateful that it's, you came and I, spent this I time with us. I will say that Mexican culture is just so incredibly complex and vibrant and it has so much to teach the world and i i can't stop talking about it because of that i think it has given me so much and i can't wait to share that with other people and it's wonderful to hear when people like paul um talk about their time here because we um we're really proud of all the people that have come out of our restaurant and gone on to do really wonderful things and he certainly is the um, the shining star of all of that. So again, Aron, Sarela, thank you so much for inviting me. This is such a pleasure. And so here we are. We just had a, a beautiful um, session here with somebody that I admire immensely, uh, Chef Rick Bayless. We've been talking about all things rice in Mexico. So thank you all for listening uh, to uh, this unbelievable podcast, uh, Cooking in Mexico from A to Z. Uh, with Sarela Martinez and Aaron Sanchez on HRN Network. Thank you very much. Hasta luego. Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you.